So we believe that Cocos right now is probably your best option if you have a C++ code and you want you know, to reach these different architectures. Uh, it's, you know, it's vendor independent, right? It's super well supported at this point. We have roughly 20 people just working on the core library. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's easier to use and the semantics are pretty clear, right? But the long-term benefit of this is that the Cocos team is also super involved in the C++ standard. From the U.S. Department of Energy's Exascale Computing Project, this is Let's Talk Exascale. Hello from SC19 in Denver. We're very pleased to have Christian Trott with us from Sandia National Laboratories. To speak about Cocos. Christian, will you tell us your role in ECP and your background and interests? Yeah, so my background is that I started out actually doing physics and not computer science. Mm-hmm. So I got into computer science, you know, through physics as a computational physicist, did my PhD, you know, mostly doing particle kind of simulations and some quantum chemistry simulations. And back in the day, I ended up having a problem that I didn't have enough computational power. So I started, you know, playing around with GPUs and all these new architectures and developed a bit uh, of code for that. And that's what Sandia then hired me. And at Sandia, I got into this Cocos project, which at the time where I started at Sandia was just new, you know, just out of a cradle. And over time, you know, I became much more involved in that. I became one of the technical leaders in the project. And a couple years ago, I actually took over the lead for the entire project. And that Cocos project is now also part of ECP and has been for, you know, since ECP started. What does Cocos do? Give us an overview. So... The problem you have, right, if you write a big application is that all these vendors come to you and say, oh, you know, we have this new cool hardware here and it has these awesome features. The only little drawback on this is we have also a programming model for you to use, right? And every single one of these vendors says, you know, there's a different programming model. So NVIDIA has CUDA and AMD has HIP and and Intel now has the Sickle, you know, one API programming model. And that's a bit of a problem because rewriting your software takes a long time. There's this industry estimate which says that you can write about 20,000 lines of production code as a full-time software developer, right? And that means no paper writing, no physics research, nothing. You just write code. Now, 20,000 lines, right, isn't much of a code. Most of our codes at Sandia are around like half a million lines of code, Mm. and we sit on top of like a couple million lines of libraries. So rewriting that once is a huge effort, costs tons and tons of money, more than the machines cost. And doing it three times is practically impossible. We don't even have the manpower to do that. And that's where Cocos comes in. Cocos is the abstraction layer across all of these things, and you write your code once in Cocos, and then Cocos maps that to the underlying architectures. It deals with all the specialty of the different architectures, the different programming models, and so on. And that gives you performance, portability, and maintainability of your codes. That sounds efficient. That sounds smart. I think so. I mean, we think so. And enough other people thought so. So we have now at Sandia, we decided to uh, write the vast majority of our codes, which at all target, you know, any of these new architectures are written in Cocos. So there's relatively little raw like OpenMP or CUDA code, etc. And we started having tons and tons of users outside. And that's where the, the synergy with ECP comes in, because ECP was said, you know, OK, here's this starting, you know, this budding pro- new programming model from Sandia. Let's get that as one of the software technologies into ECP and make it available to other people. 
So they funded things like training, support outreach and stuff like that uh, and have been growing into actual development money. So half of my developers are actually now outside of Sandir and distributed over the other DOE laboratories. I was going to ask you about collaboration and everything and then you really hit upon that very, very well and ECP provided the framework for that, right? Yeah, so ECP was, uh, in some sense, was really godsend for us, right? I mean, uh, it had this, this goal of, you know, you, you write your code, you know, and it should run across all of the exascale architectures, right? It gave us this framework for collaboration. You know, it gave us the extra resources to target, you know, uh, applications which don't come from Sandia, right? Which are not part of the uh, ASC program, you know, from the, not part of NNSA, the National Nuclear Security Agency. Mm-hmm. Right? And that was really critical in order to broaden our reach into the community. So you went beyond boundaries. I would think so. Yeah. So I would say at this point, my own estimate is that about 60% of all applications written in Cocos are coming from outside of Sandia. Yeah. So uh, I think we are making good progress on that front. Excellent. What about challenges, though? What's been really hard about this project? I think the hardest parts, uh, the biggest challenges we are running into are the ones, you know, most people run into. Like the software stacks are, you know, sometimes really immature. You know, the thing is, the applications want Cocos to work by the time they start porting to the app, to the architecture, right? So they want to be re- Cocos to be ready actually before the platform deploys. So what we are doing is we are reaching out to the vendors, we're collaborating with vendors. In some cases, we implement Cocos already on simulators before the hardware actually exists. Right? And so we have to be upfront, you know, f- from everybody else. And that means we are running into all these compiler bugs, right? All these compiler problems, software stack problems. So a lot of our work is actually writing reproducers, working with vendors to improve their software stack and stuff like that. Another big problem is obviously finding the right people because finding people who are really good like in C++ and in advanced architectures, you know, understand what the applications need, et cetera, et cetera, is really, really tough. What would you like to tell us successes that you've had along the way so far? So we have uh, quite a few successes, I would say. We have about maybe... 15-ish big applications, you know, like half a million lines of code or so, uh, running in production now. So we have now codes running on like all of Sierra, all of Summit, you know, all of Trinity. The Cocos code was actually the only code who ran across all of Trinity, which has these two partitions, you know, the Haswell partition and the KNL partition. And uh, what they did is they wrote a, uh, we have Cocos code, and they ran it with just MPI only mode on the Haswell side and the threads on the KNL side and ran it in a single MPI job across the whole thing and tied it all together. So it actually ran across all the roughly 20,000 nodes of Trinity, which no other code has done so far. Mm. Uh, That was pretty cool. And uh, I think the big successes in terms of like how many developers we reached, we had about maybe 500 developers who have at least attended a full day tutorial on Cocos. And that gives us a big community, a lot of reach, right? How about the impact when we're talking about when ECP is over and the broader HPC community folks will be using this? So we believe that Cocos right now is probably your best option if you have a C++ code and you want you know, to reach these different architectures. Uh, it's, you know, it's vendor independent, right? It's super well supported at this point. We have roughly 20 people just working on the core library. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's easier to use and the semantics are pretty clear, right? 
But the long-term benefit of this is that the Cocos team is also super involved in the C++ standard. So uh, we are working really closely with, you know, uh, with the C++ standard, we have members there. You know, we have like half a dozen people going to the ISO C++ meetings. And we are trying to get capabilities from Cocos, you know, into the C++ standard. And we're making strides of it. It's a long, very long process. It takes a long time to, you know, socialize ideas on the ISO C++ committee and get it all right. But some of the core principles of Cocos are actually getting into the C++ standard and are hitting like C++20 and C++23. That means it will impact not just the HPC community, but everybody, you know, who uses C++ and is interested in data parallelism anywhere. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's an important distinction. That's good. That's good. Where do you go now uh, in terms of your activities for the project? So the next few things we need to do is obviously support the exascale architectures uh, bought by DOE. Right? That means we need to support Frontier, we need to support Aurora, we also need to support Perlmutter and whatever El Capitan ends up being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means we need to write new backends. Because so far, you know, nobody in DOE actually has a production platform with AMD GPUs or Intel GPUs. And uh, we can't ro- use our existing like CUDA backend for that. So we have to write new backends, new uh, layers below Cocos to target that. And that's essentially the near-term goal. So we expect that by March next year, we have most of our basic features working. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the fiscal year, you know, a lot of applications will be able to compile for AMD GPUs and Intel GPUs and stuff like that. And that's, the, that's I think, the most important near-term thing. Another thing we are working really hard on is uh, we are essentially going to replace some things inside of Cocos with a version of these capabilities we actually managed to get into the C++ standard. So we got things into the C++ standard, but it's not exactly the same API as in Cocos, right? Uh, but what we want to do is we want to replace that with, with ports we did or implementations we did of the C++ capabilities. And what then happens is that we maintain that until the compilers are there and do it for, for us, right? So by the time the compilers hit, you know, are there, we can just drop our implementation and have the vendors maintain this stuff. Well, Christian, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you, the listener, for joining us for Let's Talk Exascale. So long until next time. 